Amen. I want to read this because we're going to talk a little bit about perspective and perception. What a surprise, huh? A large company, feeling it was time for a shakeup, hired a new CEO. This new boss was determined to rid the company of all slackers. On a tour of the facilities, the CEO noticed a guy leaning on a wall. The room was full of workers, and he wanted to let them know that he meant business. The new CEO walked up to the guy leaning on the wall and asked, how much do you make a week? A little surprised, the young fellow looked at him and replied, well, I make $300 a week. Why? The CEO handed the guy $1,200 in cash and screamed, here's four weeks pay. Get out. And don't come back. Feeling good about himself, the CEO looked around the room and asked, does anyone want to tell me what that goof-off did here? From across the room, a voice came, pizza delivery guy from Domino's. <laughs> You know, sometimes we think we're having an impact and we're not having much of an impact at all. <laughs> you know, things sometimes aren't as they seem. So we've been talking for weeks about the fact that God has a purpose and that God has promised that he's going to carry out his purpose and that God is in the process of preparing us for the purpose he has for us for the promise that he's given us that he's going to execute his purpose. But for that to happen, he needs to do some work in us. Amen? And so we've been talking about that. And so I want to spend more time really talking about this. I want us to understand how critical it is for us to begin to apply and internalize the fact that God has a plan for us. We spent all of last Sunday trying to understand how does this become practical for us? It's really good to, to, to read about something that happened thousands of years ago, but what does it mean to me today? And last week we talked about how does it apply? What is God's will for me? And we looked at, um, you know, the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, and kind of talked about what Paul said when he said, this is God's will in Christ Jesus. And what did that look like? That we would um, pray unceasingly, that we would give thanks. Um, you know, there's several things he talked about, and if you missed that, go online and listen to it. It was really good. Somebody told me it was really good anyway. Um, <laughs> But it just talks about how we're practical today. And so I want us to spend some time looking at, at again, God's will and God's plan and, and begin to understand that, that when God says he's going to do something, he is, even though maybe it doesn't make sense to us. So as we get started, let's turn to Exodus 4. And we're going to spend some time looking first at Exodus 4, the last couple of chapters, as we roll into Exodus 5 and 6. So in Exodus 4, starting with verse 28, Moses told, Aaron and all the words, Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him and with all the signs that he had commanded him to do. So now we're setting the stage. God came to Moses in a burning bush, said, I'm going to set my people free. I'm going to be with you. And, and Mo, Moses argued with them. I don't want to go. I can't do this. And God said, well, I'll send Moses. Moses I'm going to send Aaron. Moses said, okay, cool. So then Moses filled in Aaron, and Aaron spoke all the words in verse 30 which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he performed the signs in the sight of the people. You know those signs, right? He had the, the, the hot rod, turned into a viper, got hot, hot, you know, all that stuff painted on, all that kind of stuff. If you weren't here, go listen to that message. Um, so the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshiped. So the people realized that God was recognized what they were going through. And, and, you know, when God works and when we realize that God is moving, we bow and we worship him. That's the response we have 
when we're in God's presence, right? So now we get into chapter 5, and we look at, at Exodus chapter 5, starting with verse 1, and it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. Now I want to stop here, because I, I want us to start thinking through this whole thing that God is doing. God is establishing the fact that he's God, okay? This is really important for us to understand because as people, we struggle with that, don't we? We say God is God, but we really don't believe God is God, right? He's God when everything's going okay, but he's not God when everything's not going okay, right? And so he's establishing this fact that God is God, and he says, he says thus the Lord, the God of Israel. So when he, sent, when he sent Moses to talk to the people, he said, tell them that the God of your fathers has heard your prayers. So Israelites knew that God was their God. He was a God of their fathers, the God of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was establishing who he was in the eyes of the Israelites. With Pharaoh, he wants to establish who he is in the eyes of Pharaoh. This is God of the Israelites. This is, this is their God. This is important, and we'll get into this because in verse 2, Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and besides, I'm not going to let him go anyway. So again, this is important because in, in those times, Lord was, was common. Gods were called Lord. But, but, but Moses came and said, you know, the God of Israel, Jehovah. And he goes, well, I have never heard of who this Jehovah is. So I really don't know who this Jehovah is, but it really doesn't matter. Because here's the thing, in Egypt, they had gods, okay? And the gods were a reflection of, 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 you know, how powerful they were was reflecting how well the people did, okay? So, so the, the gods of, of Egypt were reflective on, on who Egypt was as a nation. Was Egypt a pretty powerful nation? Yeah, pretty powerful, right? So was Egypt's gods pretty powerful? Of course. How could Egypt be so powerful if their gods were powerful? Now, what was Israel? Slaves. So this God of the slaves. So Egypt, 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 Israel. So that's, that's Pharaoh's God. I mean, it's Pharaoh's point of the God of, of the people of Israel. So did God have a little bit of work to do to kind of notch his way up? Yeah, I mean, he's establishing the fact that, Pharaoh, you need to understand something. Your perception of who I am is really, like, way off. And we're going to fix that. So again, as we're reading this, if, you, if you're okay with writing in your Bible, which I highly recommend, and not like scriggly faces and frowns when Dave says something, but, but really doing stuff in there, every time that you see something that says the Lord, just underline it. And just see how many times in these next two chapters God talks about him being the Lord. Because this is a critical part of us being able to be a part of his plan as we need to understand that he is the Lord. And so he's really spent a lot of time in his preparation of Moses, his preparation of Pharaoh, and his preparation of the people of God to understand who is the Lord really. Because this is a huge thing and we're going to kind of get into it so we can really understand that. Because if we have the wrong perception of who our God is, we're going to have the wrong perception of everything that our God does. Amen? So he's starting with that position going, hey, you need to understand who I am. And Pharaoh goes, well, look, at, according to the pecking order that I see about how powerful the gods are, your God is really way down the list. So I really am not too concerned about it. Okay? And because of that, verse 3 says, 
The God of the Hebrews, and Moses comes back and says, but the God of the Hebrews, again, I'm establishing that this is the God of these people, has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So Moses comes back again, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, and said, look, man, we've been working for you for 400 years. You think three days is okay? We're just talking about three days. We're not talking about a lot of time. But three days, if Pharaoh won't even let him go for three days, it just establishes how hard his heart is. You know, Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he, he was not going to, um, you know, let the people have anything. So we kind of establish that, and then we get into God's will, okay? Now, we talked about the fact that Moses came and told the people that here's what God's going to do, right? Are we there? Moses has been talking to Mo- I mean, God's been talking to Moses for three chap- four chapters about what he's going to do. I'm going to do this. This has been my plan from day one, that the people of Israel would be where? Promised land, right? Were they in the promised land? No. So they needed to get from here to there, right? That's a process. There had to be some preparation that had to go on because they kind of liked it here, right? And so... He had to make it so that it wasn't quite so attractive to stay here so they would want to go there. And so there's this process that God was taking the people of Israel through so that they could be a part of his, of his plan. And so he tells Moses, okay, now it's time to start executing my plan. I'm going to start doing the things that need to happen for my plan to become a reality. Okay? Are you guys with me? Because anytime God's will becomes reality, don't things get better? <laughs> Uh, no, no, come on, this is God. If God's working in me, shouldn't things get better? Okay, let's look at it. I don't... Here we go, let me see, where am I? So, um... uh, I might as well just get in here. So starting with verse 4, he says, he says uh, well, if I get into chapter 5, no wonder it didn't make any sense. Okay. Chapter 5, verse 4, But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from the work? Get back to your labors. Again, Pharaoh said, Look, the people of Israel, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labors? So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, You are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they are making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it, because they're lazy. Therefore they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men, and let them work at at it so that they will pay no attention to false words. Great. Don't you love being in God's will? Isn't that awesome? So we're worshiping God because he's going to deliver us. And then Moses comes and does exactly what God tells him to do. And Pharaoh says, you know, you guys are lazy. And you know what? Because you guys aren't working hard enough and you have too much free time on your hand, you start talking to each other about how you can leave the land and go worship your pittance little God. And now you're going to start creating some kind of uprising. You're probably even going to want to start a union. I mean, there's all going to be all kinds of stuff that's going to happen that's going to cause all kinds of problems. And then the nations outside are going to see all this stuff happening and they're going to want to come in and join you and I am going to have nothing but problems. So you guys don't 
abuse all the privileges we've given you. I'm just going to make sure you're working so hard you don't have time to think about anything else. And so when they make bricks back in those days, they would mix it with straw. They'd take the clay, mix it with straw, because then it was pliable. They could shape it, form it in the way they wanted it. And then as it, drew, as it dried, the straw would decay, and the acid that would form would solidify the, the bricks. So this is, this is how they did it. And if you look at history and all the things that were built during the era when the Israelites were slaves, they worked hard. So it wasn't like they were being lazy and not working, but Pharaoh recognized that the only way to get them to stop this stuff was to get them to focus on other things. And so now they have the taskmasters, which were the, the, the um, Egyptians that were over the whole process, and they had the foremen, which, was, which were the Israelites who were kind of get, being in charge of making things, sure things happen. So the people now had to go find straw, not be able to cut it out of the fields like the Egyptians were doing. They had to find all the leftover straw that was laying on the ground. And once they got that, that field all clear, they had to go farther away to find more straw and farther away, and they had to keep the same quota they had before. That's not good. That's not good. And on top of that, because they couldn't keep up, the foreman started getting beaten by the taskmasters. Does that sound like God's will? So I, I want that will. Thank you, God. Can I do that? Thank you. How many times are we right in the middle of God's will and things seem to just get worse? Doesn't that happen? you know, Lord, I know that you want me to start giving. I'm going to start giving to the church. I'm going to start giving to your work. And then all of a sudden, everything that goes wrong could go wrong, and all of a sudden, your money just starts disappearing. And you go, forget that. Man, you know, I think I just really want to be a more loving man at home, and I really want to learn to serve and love. And, and then um, she just starts picking and nagging, and I go, forget that. I just want to love my husband. I want to just serve him and be submissive to him. And, and he just turns into a jerk forget that. Well, you know, I just want to be somebody at work who's a servant, who just serves people and is positive and is affirming, and I just want to be a light in the midst of, of darkness, and then your boss turns into a complete jerk. Well, forget that. That's what the Israelites are going through. I mean, here's God that says, hey, I am going to deliver you, and then everything that could go wrong starts going wrong. So are they no longer in God's will? They're still in God's will. They're still right in the middle of God's will. And here's our challenge. As people, we so often determine God's will through a filter of our circumstances. If my circumstances don't make sense, then I must not be in God's will. If my circumstances aren't comfortable, then I must not be in God's will. If things aren't working out the way that I think they should work out, then I must not be in God's will. That is not the way we determine God's will. We determine God's will by saying, what does God say needs to happen? And I filter my circumstances through who God is. Is God less loving if my circumstances aren't good? Is God less in control if my circumstances aren't good? Is God less wise? Is God less powerful? Is God less omniscient? Is God less anything because I'm in a situation that isn't a good situation? Does that change who God is? So here's a challenge for us that we really need to understand. Am I where I'm at because God has put me there? Or am I where I'm at because I did some really stupid things? Amen? And sometimes we're where we're, we're, we're at because we did some really stupid things. And God says, hey, help yourself. And when you want to come talk to me, you know, we could start changing direction and things will probably get a little bit better for you. 
Okay, other times we are exactly where God wants us, doing exactly what God wants us to do, and things are horrible. Does that mean that God's a bad God or God doesn't know what's happening? That means that God has us exactly where he wants us because he has an eternal purpose that he wants to execute. And some of it is he's preparing us to be who he wants us to be, to do what he wants us to do. Some of it is he's just doing what he wants to do, and we get to be a part of it. And we don't understand it, we don't get it, we don't like it, but it's where God wants us, and it's good, and it's right, and it's perfect. And we just have to suck it up and say, okay, it's where you want me to be, God. And the thing I want us to understand is that we can't determine whether we're in God's will by our circumstances. We have to determine whether we're in God's will by what God's word says. And if, and if, we, and if we begin to, to value that, then um, peace follows. We can be thankful. We can be praying unceasingly to know God and to understand God and have God help us how we fit into what he's doing. Life becomes much more fulfilling, much more significant. And we start looking to the Lord for what's going on. Now, the people still had a lot to learn about who God was and what God was all about. Because it says that, that all this stuff was happening. They didn't have straw and, and stuff. And so the foreman of the sons, in verse 15, says, Then the foreman of the sons of Israel came and cried out to who? So did they cry out to the Lord? No, they cried out to Pharaoh. So why did they cry out to Pharaoh instead of the Lord? Huh. Could it be that their perception of Pharaoh was that Pharaoh was much more in control of this situation than the Lord? Hmm. Don't we often go to the source where we think has the most control? And how often is it not the Lord? It's some other resource. So they go to Pharaoh. And they say, you know, why are you dealing with us this way with your servants? There's no straw given to your servants, yet they keep saying to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are being beaten, but it is the fault of your own people. But he said, you're lazy, very lazy. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go now and work, for you will be given no straw, yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. And so often, the people of Israel go to Pharaoh for their um, deliverance. And here's the thing. Egypt is full of gods, right? We talked about this. There's all kinds of gods. Israel has been in the land of Egypt for 400 years. Israel has adopted a lot of the culture of Egypt and a lot of the gods of Egypt. And so a lot of what God is doing now is helping the, the Israelites to change a whole culture that they've developed over 400 years of, of how they worship and what, their, what gods are out there and what gods are powerful and what gods are doing stuff. And God had to reestablish in their mind that I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And this is a whole process of, 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 of God reestablishing that. And I want to tell you something. The, the Israelites were in a culture that was a powerful culture with a bunch of gods that seemed to work. And I want you to hear this. We are in a culture today with a bunch of gods that seem to work. If you want to have a good life, worship the money God. Because that money God will take care of you. You can have things, you can have houses, you can have cars, you can have all kinds of stuff. And if you have to lie, steal, or cheat to get there, that's okay. Because 
It's worth it. Right? We have the, the celebrity God that we worship. Man, I can just go watch this thing on TV and it feels good and I like it. And, 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 and we worship the entertainment industry. And it's amazing to me that, that, that we worship somebody who pretends they're somebody else. Do you think? I mean, Tom Cruise is like four foot six, weighs three, 30 pounds. And he's, he's Mr. Mission Impossible. And he says something and we go, well, yeah, Tom Cruise said that. I mean, Scientology must be good. I mean, Tom Cruise does it. It's crazy. I mean, we organize our whole weekend based on this God we worship called athletics and sports and, and stuff. And, and the, I mean, we, we, just, we worship. I mean, I feel good if we win. I feel terrible if we lose. And my whole emotional being is wrapped up into whether my team wins or loses and what I do on Sunday. If, if church is on the wrong time and there's a baseball game going on, well, you know what? I hope, I hope I can listen to the tape later because I don't want to get church live. I'd rather get sporting events live, you know? I mean, that's our culture. And we have a lot of gods that we worship just like the Israelites were caught up in that culture. And they went to Pharaoh, not to God. And so often we go to our gods to get comfort and sympathy and solutions rather than going to the Lord our God to get those answers. This is so powerful for us to understand because if we can get this, it is transformational. It's transformational. So, verse 20, they left Pharaoh's presence. They met Moses and Aaron. And have you ever met somebody when they're really mad because they got bad news and you're the first person they see? <laughs> That's really not a good place to be. So, so in verse 21, they said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. So they blame Moses. And this is how we do this, right? I mean, this is the first place where we see Israelites doing it. And then they do it for like the next 40 chapters or however long Exodus is. But we always take whatever's happening and take it to the worst case scenario, don't we? Don't we? It's like, yeah, yeah, well, my boss got mad at me and he yelled at me and, and that, you know, then, then I'm going to be doing all this extra work they're going to give me and then, then they're going to fire me and then I'm going to lose my house, I'm going to lose my car, I'm going to be living on a street underneath a bridge, right? Don't we do that? I mean, we, we take it to like the worst case scenario of what could possibly go wrong. And so they come to Moses and say, man, they're going to kill us. This is, this is like as bad as it could be. And so then Moses, of course, and this, this reminds me of like Adam and Eve, you know. So what happened? Well, you know, the, the fruit that she took it and gave it to me, and then she goes, well, the serpent did it. I mean, we just want to blame everybody else, right? So then Moses comes to the Lord, and he says, oh, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? I told you it was a bad idea. <laughs> I tried to tell you you wouldn't listen to me. This was a horrible idea. Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people. Isn't that great? Don't you just love being in the middle of God's plan? <laughs> it's like, this is awesome. The, Moses and the Israelites were exactly where God wanted them to be, and they were as miserable as they could possibly be. Isn't that a sad thing? But how often do we as God's children just live a miserable life 
because we just don't trust that what God is doing is his will and, is, and, and what he's doing is going to be for our good. And we paint worst-case scenarios. So here's the thing. Things aren't always as they seem. When we're dealing with God, things aren't always as they seem. When we try to filter things through our perspective, our, our circumstances, we, we usually get it wrong. And so, so what we need to do is be able to see things through God's perspective. So let's go to chapter 6, because I love chapter 6. Then the Lord said to Pharaoh, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of the land. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So again, he says, look it, you, you need to understand some things. Here's what I'm going to do. You want to know what I'm going to do? Let me tell you what I'm going to do. Pharaoh is going to ask you to leave. In fact, he's going to tell you, get out of here and don't ever come back. Now, I don't know. It doesn't say what Moses said, but I think Moses rolled his eyes. You know, he goes, oh, come on, God, not again. But he says, and you can underline all this stuff, you know, I appeared to Abraham, I mean, look at how he describes himself. I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm, I paid to them as God Almighty. I'm the one who is God Almighty who came and did amazing things. But with you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself known to you. I'm going to become relational to you. I'm going to become your God. You're going to come into my presence and you're going to walk out and you're going to be so blown away, you're going to glow. You're going to have a relationship with me like nobody's ever had a relationship with me before. And you know, I can understand what God is, is telling Moses because I grew up in a, in a Catholic church. I went to church every Sunday because I had to. And in fact, I, I figured out later in life when I could drive that if you came like just before the message and left just after communion, you were Okay. You fit into the requirements. So I, I had a time. I knew exactly when that started. I knew when that was, and I, was, I did it. But I was there. And here's the thing. I knew that there was a God. I was, I was raised knowing there was a God. I knew there was a God. I believed with all my heart that there was a God. And, and, and I knew that sometime me down here and him up there were going to somehow make some kind of a connection and hopefully things would work out when that happened. But until then, I had a whole lot of life, life, life to live, and I had to live my life and stuff. And, and when I was 20, I went to this, this, this retreat, and I heard somebody talking about God being the designer, the creator of the universe, and that he, he had a personal relationship with me. He wanted, to, he wanted to have a personal relationship with me. He wanted to be able to tell me how I could be a better athlete. He wanted to tell me how I could be a better boyfriend. He wanted to tell me how I could be a better brother, a better son. He wanted to talk to me about the fact he created me and, and, and the sin that I had separated me from him. But man, if, if I would receive the forgiveness of a son and allow that that blood to cleanse me of all that stuff that I could have a relationship with him where he could tell me day by day by day how to walk with him. That he made me exactly the way he wants me and he could teach me how to be a basketball player that honored him. He could teach me how to person that, uh, that would know how to treat women. He would teach me how to be a father and a husband and an employee. He would teach me how to be somebody that lived a purposeful, significant life because he knew what was going on and I didn't. That was life-changing. I can't even imagine what it would be like if that didn't happen in my life. First of all, I would not be married to Marge because she would not be attracted to that guy. I'd be married to somebody, well, I probably wouldn't be married to somebody else because they wouldn't have been able to live with me. 
You know, I went to, I went to a reunion yesterday. It was I, my 10th. Okay. Maybe it was my 20th. I lost count. But um, I, I never go to reunions, you know. I was a doofus in high school anyway. And so, um, you know, it never attracted me, you know, going and comparing careers and all that kind of stuff. And, but this person just kept going, you need to come. You never come. I want to see you. And so I go, okay, I'll go. So I went. And uh, you know, I, just, I just wanted to go and be Jesus, you know. And, and so we talked a little bit. We had this little thing afterwards where we were able to talk in a more, it was like an all school. You know, when you get to reunions, after you've had your 20th, then you just make it like everybody. So everybody in the last 80 years gets to come. And, um, but, but our class went off by itself. And there's, you know, 20 or 30 of us that were just kind of in a, a little setting. And, and it was interesting just talking to people and just listening to what they were saying and listening to their story and listening to what went on in their life and listening to their marriages and listening to their relationships. And I just thought, man, Lord, thank you so much that you saved me from all that stuff. Thank you that you gave me purpose and you gave me significance and you taught me how to love somebody with your love. You know, to, to figure out how we are married in a way where we serve each other and we love each other and, you know, we don't like each other, but we still love each other. I mean, those things, you know, that's what marriage is all about, right? It's like you go, man, I really don't like her, but God, I know you can change her. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you know gives us purpose and significance but man it's just I was so thankful um, for the work that God did because that's what he wants he wants us to know him as God and he wants us to know that he does transforming work in us because he has a purpose for us that's life-changing and it's not always easy it's not easy to build a strong marriage it takes work I'm selfish I'm stupid I'm and she puts up with it because she goes, God, I know you can do it. <laughs> you know, but we do. We just love each other and we ask for forgiveness and we grow and, you know, we, we just love our kids and all that stuff that happens when we can become people who, you know, serve the Lord. So that's the thing that, that God is doing in Moses. It's going, hey, Moses, I am going to be a personal God with you. I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and, and I'm going to be a personal God who's going to do a work in you. That's powerful for the work that God wants to do that Moses has no idea what it's all involved in. But God does. So let's, let's get to um, verse 5 because then, then um, I want you to see this because, because God starts saying, I established my covenant with them. I'm going to give them the land of Canaan. Um, you know, I'm going to be the one who fulfills it in you guys in verse 5. And then in verse 6, he says, therefore, say therefore to the sons of Israel. Now listen to this. I am the Lord. Now he says, I am the Lord first, because I'm going to position it so you know again. I've already said this to you like 50 times, but just so you haven't missed it, I am the Lord. Okay, I'm the Lord. And then he goes on and he gives all these I will statements. This is like unbelievable. He goes, I will bring you out of from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession I am the Lord. That is, that is powerful. 
I am the Lord. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I am the Lord. Did you get that? I am the Lord. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I am the Lord. And God comes to us and says, hey, I am God. I will, I will, I will. I am God. And you know how we respond? That's God's perspective. That's God's perspective. God comes to us and says, I am God. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I am God. Any questions? Here's the people's perspective. Verse 9. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel. God told me, I am the Lord. I will, I will, I will. I am the Lord. You know what the people did? But they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. Do you believe that? Yeah, but. Yeah, but God, have you seen my income and my budget? Huh? Have you worked for my boss? Do you have any idea what my boss is like? That's what Ricky says. He goes, God, you don't understand who my boss is. Got two more weeks before Doug comes and gets even. But, but, but we do that. Yeah, God, yeah, but. And God says, I'm the Lord. I will, I will, I will. And we go, yeah, but, but do you know what it's like being in where I'm at, doing what I'm doing, experience what I'm experiencing? And because of our despondency, we don't receive what God has for us. And it's a sad place to be when we're the people of the living God living a depressed life because we don't know who our Lord is. And our Lord has told us, I will, I will, I will, I will. And we go, because of our despondency, because of my circumstances, because of where I am, I can't see God through my circumstances. My God has filtered so much through my circumstances that he becomes this minor little thing that's ruling this bunch of slaves, not the powerful, almighty God of all creation. And the sad thing is, then not only did the people feel that way, but then it says that, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But Moses spoke before the Lord saying, God, Israel hasn't listened to me. What makes you think Pharaoh is going to listen to me? Are you kidding me? Which part of this isn't going to work have you not heard, God? You ever talk to God like that? I do all the time. Because he just doesn't get it. He says, Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. I told you I'm unskilled in speech. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge to the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And listen, you guys, this is powerful stuff because here's the key. I'm going to take us to one other passage um, so that we can kind of get context. Um, let's turn together to Ezekiel. Like, I'm not even going to tell you how to get there. I'll just read it to you. It's like one of the prophets. You just keep going into the right till you see Ezekiel. It's like right here in the middle of the Bible, okay? <laughs> Ezekiel 20, we're going to take, pick it up at verse 5. Because this is something that if we can understand this, this that I talked about it earlier, but I want to reiterate it. Because why do the people struggle? Why is Moses struggling? Verse 5, God is talking 
to Ezekiel, and he says to them, Thus says the Lord God. Now he's talking about what happened that we just talked about, okay? On the day when I chose Israel and swore to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, when I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God, on that day I swore to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had selected for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. Pretty cool, huh? Nice. That not that great to be in God's will to go there? I said to them, cast away each of you the detestable things of your eyes and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and they were not willing to listen to me. They did not cast away the detestable things of their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. So he had to display that he was more powerful than all of the gods of Egypt. And we're going to talk about that as we get into the plagues. But here's the thing, you guys. We have to get our arms around this. And so I'm going to repeat it again as I wrap this thing up. Is that man's perspective really gets messed up when we see our God through the filter of our circumstances. We are in a culture where we worship a bunch of idols and we don't even know it. There is a bunch of stuff in our lives, in our culture, in our history, in our experience that we think is way more powerful than God is. And we've been taught that the most important thing in life revolves around me. We listen to the station, W-I-I-F-M. W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? And so everything that happens in my life revolves around how does this impact me? If it impacts me in a good thing, it must be God's will. If it impacts me in a poor thing, then it must not be God's will. If I'm miserable, God must not be a part of it. If I'm not, God must be a part of it. And by the way, I am way too busy to find out if this really is God's will and what God's will is for me because I got a bunch of other gods I got to worship. I got to go get to work and make a bunch of money. I got to watch this thing on TV. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got a bunch of things that I need to do that are way more important than knowing whether God's will is something that is a part of my life. Are you guys with me? That's why I camped on this last Sunday, because this is critical for Christ's followers to be people that are experiencing the full joy of who God is all about. When we know we're in his will, when we know we're being the people of God, doing the will of God, we can have the peace of God. And then we can be used to be people who change the world. So I don't know if I'm changing the world. I went and talked to a bunch of people yesterday, just telling them how good God was. I don't know what's going to happen out of that. But that could change history. You know what happens with presidents now? They get to their eighth term. Mr. Obama did this. He, he was more concerned about his legacy than he was about running the country. Bill Gates is way more concerned about his legacy now than anything else. I mean, we become people when we realize there's not a whole lot else I can do. I want to start leaving a legacy. But you know what? We leave legacies on a daily basis. We can do something today that could leave a legacy that's a thousand years old, that's still impacting the cultures a thousand years from now if the Lord tarries. The only thing is we don't know. We don't know what God's going to do. We don't know if what God is calling us to be and to do today, what is going to happen in 10,000 years. God does. We don't. So what's our responsibility? Do what he tells us to do today. Doug says this all the time. Believe that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. 
I am Lord. I will, I will, I will, I will. I am Lord. Amen? When we leave here, please, please, please want more than anything else to know that he is Lord and to find out what the I wills are for you. And then know that he is Lord. And then we can, we can live in peace because we know that God is in control and that God is doing what God is doing. And that's a good thing. It doesn't change our circumstances. Don't change who God is. God will always be loving. God will always be powerful. God will always be all, all, uh, everywhere. God will always be God. That none of that will change. Whether we can figure them out or not, it doesn't change anything. What changes is us when we realize that God is who God he is and we get to be a part of that. And the amazing thing to me is God just doesn't do stuff. He goes, well, forget it. I'm just going to do it myself. He doesn't do that. He, he continually lets us be a part of it. And rather than getting bummed with that, we should be honored. And we should do like Jesus said, hunger and thirst for a right relationship with him, to want more than anything else to have a right relationship with him. Moses had no idea the legacy he was going to leave behind. He just knew that whatever God was doing right now was a bad idea. It's a terrible idea. And he wanted nothing to do with it anymore. And God says, yeah, Moses, you really... You have no idea what's coming. And same thing with us. We have no idea what tomorrow holds. But we do have an idea who holds tomorrow, right? And that's the thing that brings joy and peace, comfort and excitement in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are Lord. And you have a plan, Lord. You've created us uniquely us for the plan you have for us. And that you have promised that you will be with us and that you will um, lead us 